A reading from the 10th chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew, beginning with the 24th verse. Jesus is speaking. A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, and what you hear whispered proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground unperceived by your father. And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. So a couple of weeks ago, I told you about a quote by Dr. Stanley Hauerwas, who taught ethics and theology at the Duke Divinity School for years and years and years and years and years. And he said something that I thought was just tremendous. He said that Jesus went around seeking people who were in need because that's what the kingdom of God is. And essentially, he said, because Jesus is the good news. Jesus is the gospel. Now, very often we're used to people talking about the gospel as it's a set of propositions that if we agree to them, we get to go to heaven if we be good people. Correct? You've heard this. I have a book about it in my office if you'd like to borrow and read it. It's called Almost Christian. It's a book about moral therapeutic deism and how it has crept into the church and into us so that we are no longer proclaiming a Christ who calls us to a cross, but we're proclaiming a Christ who wants to be our buddy and wants to make sure we feel good about ourselves. With no judgment involved, but blanket affirmation of everything that David wants to be. And David can tell you very honestly that if David got to be everything that David wants to be, that would not be good for David. Is that fair enough? Some of the rest of y'all have thoughts you shouldn't have sometimes too, don't you? Want to throw something at somebody every once in a while? Things like that happen to us, but you know, here's this Jesus who's calling us to something different here. And some people will say that, you know, this text is a, is a, a, a forcing together of various sayings of Jesus that don't really have anything to do with each other. But maybe they do. Maybe Jesus is saying that if you behave like He behaved, the world will hate your butt too. 
Maybe if you're a person who stands up and say we shouldn't be killing people indiscriminately because we want something they have, some politician will agree with you and some politician will disagree with you. You'll end up in an editorial somewhere, especially if you're clergy. Someone will say you're conservative or someone will say you're a liberal and we should get rid of you. And persecution will come. And some people say, oh, but the church in America isn't persecuted. It's because the church in America has stopped saying anything that matters. I mean, that's just my opinion. It's how I feel. It's my frustration. Sometimes when I get invited by someone to come and preach at their church, I don't get invited back. (laughs) And the last time that happened, I made someone angry because they thought I was talking about them. And the pastor had set them up. A person who was very evil to that pastor. I didn't know that. But listen, when we tell the truth about what Jesus is calling us to, it makes people uncomfortable. Jesus does not want to be an accessory to our lives. Period. Jesus is not a proposition. Jesus is the good news. And so that's why when Jesus walked into Matthew's life, he didn't say, hey, you want to come follow me? And offer him a proposition. He gave him an imperative. He sounds like my mama saying, come here, boy. It's an imperative. If my mama wanted me to be present in front of her, I didn't get to decide if I was coming. Matthew was invited to something that was deeper than anything he could ever hope for or understand with a simple command, come follow me. But it seems to me sometimes that the church is too busy today trying to lead Jesus around by the nose. Well, Jesus didn't really mean that he was going to judge us. No. It's in my book. So many times I can't ignore it. Jesus said that I will give an account for every careless word I have ever spoken. And I have told you all before. That is the scripture text that scares this pastor the most. Because I've said a lot of careless words. And then today he scares me again. If you deny me, David, I will deny you. Oh my goodness. So much for moral therapeutic deism that said God affirms all of us and if we're basically good people, all of us will be in the kingdom. No. If we have real faith in Christ and depend on Him for our life because He's the good news and He has invited us into Himself to give us life itself, if we hold on to that, yes. Yes, we are in the kingdom already. But if we deny him by saying that he's all about affirming me as I am, we're denying the power of the cross, denying the power of the resurrection, denying the power of sanctification, denying the power of God to raise us from the dead. If I say that I will always be as I am, I deny Christ. 
Because my book tells me, again, the only book I have, that God is conforming me to the image of Christ. Not leaving me as I am. Without question, God loves me as I am or I wouldn't be here right now. I'd have got struck by lightning right there when Jim handed me his earpiece. Yet, God allows me to do this. Imperfect as I am, vulgar as my thoughts may be sometimes. This God we serve pushes me to not deny Him. What are the ways that we deny Jesus? It's a scary question, isn't it? It occurs to me that I might be better off if every morning I got up and actually did this thing that I was taught at the um, Via de Cristo walk I went to, which was every day I'm supposed to question my conscience, search my conscience. Y'all ever search your conscience? That's an ugly program, isn't it? How many of you have conversations where you say something to somebody that you spend the next week regretting it and unpacking it, trying to figure out how to undo it? Ever happened to you? (laughs) Not every week. (laughs) Life is hard that way. What does it mean in that instance? Let's say that we've had that experience where someone has pushed every button we have. And we told them to go fall in love with themselves. Y'all don't do that work yourself. What do we do about it as people who follow Jesus? Ask, pray, ask forgiveness. Look to be reconciled, right? God says that he has given us the ministry of reconciliation that was begun in Christ. Reconciliation is the end of all of this. Our purpose is to chase after it and serve it. Because that is what the cross does. The cross reconciles. So taking up our cross means taking up a ministry of reconciliation, which then means that we go to the person that we know we hurt, even though they didn't say anything about being hurt. And we say, I shouldn't have done that. Will you forgive me? We abandon pride in our need for affirmation and our need for dignity. And we serve Jesus by taking up the cross of going to someone and saying, I have sinned against you. That's one way that this looks. But if we stand back and say, well, they deserved it. I was right to tell them off. We deny Christ. This doesn't mean just falling away if you get called to court for your faith. And, you know, I'm hoping that if I ever get brought to court because I'm a Christian, there's enough evidence to convict me. You know what I mean? Jesus isn't just talking about that. He's talking about your everyday life. That we are called in everything to follow him because he is the gospel. The gospel is not a set of ideas that we decide to affirm and we get our ticket punched and we get to get on the train to heaven one day. The gospel is Jesus. And having faith in Him is the only way 
to be changed and transformed, to be saved from sin and death, to be delivered, to be saved. Whatever language you want to use, the only hope we have for a future other than death and hell is Jesus and His life and His death and His resurrection. Him. He is the good news. And if we deny that, we have lost all things. If we deny that, we have lost all hope. And yet, at least once a month, I read part of some book I've bought that encourages me to be the the kind of universalist pastor that tells us that God will affirm everything and everyone will be saved. But my Bible says that's not true. And my Lord just said that if I deny Him, He will do what to me? I'm glad y'all heard it. It terrifies me. It terrifies me. There are ways that I deny Jesus all the time. Just last night, yesterday afternoon, I'm walking through Walmart. I see a lady with a young child in the aisle. It's confession time today. Sermon's a little personal. I'm sorry. This is what Jesus does to us sometimes. And I thought to myself, I should give her my card and invite her to church. And then I thought, no, she'll think I'm a creep. And I didn't do it. You know what I should have done? In hindsight, I realized I should have risked her thinking that I was a creep. Handed her my card, said, God loves you. Would you like to join us in worship? You may think that's not a big deal, Pastor, but isn't it? Didn't I fail in that moment to be who I am? Wasn't I more concerned with getting over there and getting some Milo's tea for the pastors who were having dinner with me last night and I was in a hurry I can make all kinds of excuses for it but what excuse would stand so I had to take a moment and say sorry Lord I should have had more guts than that what would happen for us if every day we got up and asked the question am I leading Jesus Am I telling Jesus how he will impact my life today? Am I being like my pastor who didn't have time to talk to that young lady? Or will I take time to allow Jesus to lead me through my daily life and push me to the table of someone next to me when I'm eating lunch? Or have me say to my coworker, I want to pray for you. Or anything that looks like admitting that you're a follower of Jesus that might cause you to feel ashamed for a moment or might cause someone to say, oh, you're one of them people. Every single day there are trickling little moments in your life where you are invited to take up a cross, lay down your life and admit that you are inseparable from this Jesus who loves you and gave himself for you. What will happen if we get up and say today, I will not lead Jesus around. I will let Jesus lead me. Today, I will be a slave and follow my master. That's what Jesus is asking us for here. He's asking you for your whole life. He doesn't want to be a chain around your neck or a votive on your mantelpiece. He wants to be your Lord. To take you into Himself. 
and make you one with him. Jesus does not want to be an accessory to your life. So what if every morning, church, instead of getting up and pondering what we might tell Jesus to do today, what if we woke up and said, Jesus, what will you have me do today? And what if the second question we asked ourselves, Jesus, what ways am I denying you? In what ways am I denying your hold on my life? In what ways am I denying who you are? In what ways do I deny that you are my Lord, my King? In what ways am I denying that my purpose is to serve you, Lord, not you serve me? This is what Jesus is raising to a group of people who very well would face death. This is what Matthew is reminding his church of because they're Jewish Christians who are working on being pushed out of the synagogue because they believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And he's basically telling them, hold on, persevere, don't turn away. Don't disown him in any way. And why would he tell them that? I think it's for this reason. Jesus is the only person who has the right to ask us to give him our whole selves. The only one who has that right. Because as John told us, in Him, we were created in Him. By Him and through Him, all things were created. He is the only one who has the right to demand that we give Him our whole selves. And that, dear ones, is what He is asking for in these texts. If I were a sports coach, I would use that analogy of getting off the bench and getting in the game. But that's just more works righteousness. What I'm asking you is, does your faith have consequence for your life? Does what you call having faith in Jesus affect your life at all? That, dear ones, is the crux of these texts. I think Jesus is telling us that it should and that it might even get us in trouble with our neighbors, especially with our enemies. Your enemies don't want you to love them. Y'all know that, right? Will you ponder these things with me, church, this week? How might I be better at not trying to lead Christ around? What ways am I denying Jesus every day? And am I willing to give him my whole self? Am I willing to be like the writer of this gospel, who when Jesus said, come follow me, he got up and started walking? 
Or will I be a slave who puts myself ahead of my master? There's only two ways. If I try to be king of my life, then Jesus isn't. And I'm lost. But the good news is, dear ones, as King David reminds us, he is steadfast and slow to anger, quick to forgive. And if you find in your thinking this week that there are ways that you have put yourself ahead of him and tried to lead him around, if you find that there are ways that you have disowned him, if you find that there are ways that you are unwilling to give yourself to him, then know this, there is forgiveness for you at the feet of the cross. If you ask him, he will forgive you. If you give yourself to him, he will receive you. I promise you this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.